take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Okay, now the mic is on. Sweet. <laughs> um, we just had a long, extensive chat before the mic, and uh, I think you're really going to enjoy. And Kazam here, welcome. Oh my gosh, hello. <laughs> is this your first podcast? Yes. And? It's a cool and, experience, hey? Yeah, I'm kind of scared. No, so that's why we're just going to talk it out. Okay, great. Um, so you came to me from your sister. Yeah. Who, fun fact, is my most listened to episode of the podcast. Okay, go Emma. Yeah, so she can uh, she can gloat about that. Still the, the highest downloaded and listened to. So Might have to beat her on that one. Yeah, we'll see. Do you have a good friend list that like gets behind all your projects? I mean, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah? Okay, good. Um, I'm going to be big with the kids, as they say. And then I'm going to sound like an old man now, which is terrifies me um <laughs> we my your sister and i and myself we talked about you and your name came up because we were talking about um her being jewish and we were talking a little bit about the holocaust and you know anti-semitism and all that and that because your family is is jewish and she said you'd be a really good person to talk to Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> so I don't know if you guys fight at home, but not at all. She uh, she thinks the world of you, I guess. So um, we're gonna hear to talk about when we were when when your sister and I were talking. A big thing for me and what I I found fascinating about the world that we live in um, is that there's a rise of different voices now um, through social media and, you know, we're, we're making space for indigenous people and people of color and LGBTQ. And one of my points was, is that there is a lot of, you know, um, anti-Semitism and, and, you know, hate crimes against Jewish people that kind of get passed over a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And I asked her if an anti-Semitism was on the rise and she said, yeah. Um, yeah. Is that fair to say? It is more than fair to say and it's so frightening and I just I don't understand how that's possible and how that's an actual statistic because for what all the Jewish people have gone through um, since like the dawn of our existence mm -hmm. and um, especially after the largest mass uh, genocide in world history which was the Holocaust that happened about 70 years ago I just it boggles me um, to think about how anti-Semitism can still exist after everything that mm -hmm. we've gone through. Yeah, I went to do a little bit of research um, before this just to kind of get some facts right and make sure. And I knew you were coming in a short order of time. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I pulled up a page to try to see, like, just get an overview of, like, all the kind of stats, stats and the big events that have happened throughout our history that involved kind of mass killings of, yeah. of, of Jewish people. And the list was like way too long. Never I was stopped. like, Oh my God. Yeah. You know, it, it, for me, that puts things in perspective. Mm -hmm. Now we'll get to a little bit more of what's going on today, but I, I wanted to start off because you, you're, you know, in terms of life experience, you're quite young. Mm -hmm. Um, but you're quite involved with, you know, Holocaust, um, history and, and information and, and as you described it, education. Yeah. Um, like, how did you kind of fall into that? Like, especially at a young age, like that is a heavy subject. Yeah, no, it definitely is. Um, so when I was in grade 10 and now I'm in grade 12, so this was around April um, 2018, 
Um, I went, I had the privilege on going on a trip called the March of the Living. Um, and it is a trip with 15,000 Jews from teenage Jews from all around the world. Like any country that you can think of, some people from there were there. Mm-hmm. And um, there were about 20 people from Ottawa. And we were part of the delegation of Coast to Coast. So that was like all the provinces and territories in Canada except for Toronto and Montreal. And Coast to Coast group was about, I think, 60 people. And um, yeah, oh my gosh, what was I saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry. So you're on the March of the, of the yes. Living um, with a bunch of people from yes. Canada yeah, yeah, and Jews yeah, from sorry. around the world. Right. Okay. So basically the March of the Living is a two-week trip um, in Poland and in Israel. So the first week is spent in Poland when we're visiting different Holocaust, um, different concentration camps um, and work camps, including Auschwitz-Birkenau, which you may have heard of. Mm-hmm. And it's the largest... Um, concentration camp um, in the Holocaust and they killed the most Jews and most people um, and yeah just like hearing about it it sounded really big and really scary but actually going there was um, life-changing because I didn't realize uh, I don't know like you hear all these facts and it's hard to really interpret them as truth until you see it and just seeing it in person like even right now, I feel like my heart is racing. I can and I'm feel getting the emotion red. about it, uh, like coming from your voice and your in your face. Mm-hmm. You're a little nervous mm-hmm. talking about mm-hmm. it, and I think that's a huge, a huge thing that you just brought up was, you know, six million Jews died, and to a lot of people, we hear that a lot, mm-hmm. in history class and documentaries, and in your mind, you're like, yeah, it's a big number, but when you when you put that number into perspective six million that's the entire city of toronto two or three times over yeah wiped out systematically and i'd say it's just like we it it was the theme that was really brought up a lot um just during like for the march of the living was putting that number six million into perspective and um there were times where it that number really hit certain people so for me um, that time was when we were in um, Auschwitz. So that's the work camp um, of Auschwitz-Birkenau. Mm-hmm. So they're two separate camps, about two kilometers apart. Um, and in Auschwitz, um, all these like work camp buildings, so these factory buildings, have been turned into museums. But like not the typical museums. So basically one of the buildings um, you go into... And there's, like, no writing on the walls or anything. You just walk into a room. And the first room that I walked into um, had, like, a purplish light coming through the door. And I was like, oh, what's this going to be? And I had no explanation going in. It's just everyone was very quiet. So I go in. I look to my left. And it's, like, it's a very big room. And I see a mountain. And I'm like, "What what is this? And it was a mountain of brown human hair. And I saw it, and I shrieked, and I just started crying, and I, I feel the, te- I feel the tears coming now, because, um, seeing that and like seeing this hair that looks so much like mine, I just I understood how many people, and this was just from from Auschwitz, and um, 
it, it just put the number into so much perspective and I, I couldn't like help it anymore. I just felt like I couldn't be in my body because I, 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 don't, I don't know what to say. That's okay. Sorry. No, it's okay. That I think for anybody listening right now that, you know, this, this seems to some that aren't affected a long time ago, my, myself included, but to someone your age to be so profoundly affected by it. Mm-hmm. Take a minute. Are, are you good? Yeah. Okay. It's okay. It's okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, I like the, the only words I can describe is that like he, just hearing you and the emotion that just goes into it. And we've only like going back to the anti seminar part that like, this is, this is a real thing and this has a real effects on a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Um, I know someone I know, um, their grandfather, um, was not Jewish, but lived in Poland at the time of the invasion and hearing stories of how they were relocated to Africa and hearing the stories that, you know, growing up on, on a reserve in in the middle of Kenya and seeing giraffes outside the window, um, just because we only see it on a documentary and on a film or a recreation in, in a movie that I think it has lost some of the realism. 100%. Um, and that's why I think it's important, and that's why I wanted to have you on, to bring, again, back the the human part of this story. Because mm-hmm. like you said, I remember there was a documentary. I, I should have researched it before I turned on the mic, but it was um, about... It was, it was film from the actual liberation, but they banned the documentary. I think it was by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm-hmm. But they banned that documentary because they were used, like all the footage that they used, all real, that they deemed it was going to be too much mm-hmm. for the public to handle. So they put it away and it just got released, I want to say, in 2013, 2012. Mm-hmm. And that, like, again, that just puts into perspective because you saw pictures of, you know, these rooms filled with, with teeth. Or gold. No, not pictures. You saw you saw the actual gold from the teeth. Yeah, right. Yeah, and like the actual hair. Yeah, and like it, that was all that. Yeah, right. It yeah, was. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, the movie was actually like showing oh, the I footage. See, yeah, uh, yeah, was the footage of yeah. of them for the first time going into these rooms and filming, and seeing it. Yeah. And that like they deemed that like that was too much. Yeah. No, I I can't. It I can't handle the concept of it being considered too much for people. Because um, I understand that it's a really heavy topic, mm-hmm. but it's one that everyone has to know about. Mm-hmm. Because um, as we're seeing, if if we don't learn about it, then that means that we forget about it. And when we forget it, that means that there's no lesson learned. And mm-hmm. we're bound, someone's bound to repeat the same mistakes again. And they are getting repeated, proven by the rise of anti-Semitism and just... The whole thing about the rise of anti-Semitism, like, before I used to think that, oh, like, that can't really be true. But then um, I started hearing stories about it, and then I started, like, encountering it in my actual life. And these are just two small instances, but they literally happened in the past week. um, Where, say, like, I go to a a very Jewish school, 
it's like it's a public school but um i'd say about 25 percent of the people are jewish and i was just working in my math class and i looked down at my desk and there's just a a swastika engraved and i'm just it's like it was just shocking and um i felt so touched because it's like okay how can someone be so disrespectful to do that and then um so i told the teacher and whatever they got it um cleaned up but then yesterday i was just on instagram i was going through people's stories and there's this girl um who i went to high school with when i was in grade nine she's in grade 12 and she had on her story um screenshots of um someone who had direct messaged her and was just going off without she didn't say anything but he was just going off giving her these um racial slurs and calling her all sorts of names that are derogatory towards jews and these pictures and um i was just looking through these and i almost wanted to cry because i just don't understand how um it can be so normal and how Mm -hmm. someone can take the time out of their lives to just do something like that to someone and how normalized it is now and i just yeah yeah no uh i i feel you and the biggest the biggest thing to me is like how people think it's funny to put a swastika somewhere like that's a pretty common thing that people are doing Mm -hmm. and i don't know where the humor comes from um you know, I don't really much understand anything of bullying or, or being racist or anything like that. But that one just, that one seems to be a little bit more normalized. Like, people don't understand the impact of what that symbol meant yeah. or means yeah. to so many people. Yeah, and I think they're like a really big reason behind that is they don't understand the impact it has. And it's just like an easy symbol to draw. So they do mm-hmm. it to, like, create um, a reaction out of people. And it's because they don't understand um, how it can affect people. And the reason they can't understand that is because they don't learn it. And that's scary to me, as in what I mentioned before, um, how we really need to be... There needs to be more Holocaust education because without that Holocaust education, you're just going to have more people not knowing about the Holocaust and like drawing these swastikas because they don't know what it means. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why to me holocaust education is so important and i left this march of the living trip have i talked about it we were talking about okay, it yeah, yeah yeah so that's why i left this march of the living trip with um feeling like i had such a task to perform in my community of teaching people about holocaust education so that we can stop these um rise the rise of anti-semitism mm-hmm. so you know we kind of left off while you were on that trip so you went and you mm-hmm. you saw the hair yeah um what was the conversation around you and other participants because you all were probably seeing the same things but also i imagine being taking it in not only as a group but most of you are probably taking it in individually Mm -hmm. (coughs) excuse me you know being introspective with with the experience and and thinking to yourselves and applying meaning to your own lives what was the conversation around? Was there a lot of talking? Was there discussion? Oh, did you see this? Or was it a very kind of quiet? So um, I think it's just, I find that it's like after visiting the different sites, um, you go and then you like get back on the bus. And it's hard to like talk about your emotions to the people next to you um, mm-hmm. so soon because you're still digesting everything. 
So um, what became easier was just going on to another subject. And we had these two guys in our bus who had guitars and they just used to play music. And then we would kind of um, get distracted by it. But like we wouldn't forget about it because mm-hmm. um, in the evening we'd have a debrief. And that's that's when we used to talk and really share um, what we felt during the day. And I think the most common theme in the debrief was the utter shock after every day in Poland. Um as to how Jews could have been treated like that and um, what thoughts were going through the Nazis' minds when um, they were, yeah, killing so many people. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, I asked you before we turned the mic on why they called it the March of the Living. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that there was the march. Right. So um, it's called the March of the Living because um, during the Holocaust, um, there was this thing called the Death March, where they would march all the groups of people from Auschwitz, which was the work camp, to Birkenau, which is um, they're two kilometers away from each other. And um, they would take all the workers and then they'd walk them over to Auschwitz where they would be gassed. So they'd be put into gas chambers. And then after a they would turn the gas on after a few minutes, everyone would be dead. And then um, these people called the Zunderkommand, which were other Jews who like had to work for the camp. So it was just another method of torture because the Nazis couldn't handle it emotionally. So they would empty out all the Jews and then burn them and then um, move on to like the next batch, mm-hmm. um, I'd say. And um, anyways, so yeah, it was it was like a common thing. So... Um, the March of the Living, it was a march, the same march, but instead of um, the goal being death, it was the goal being to celebrate life and to reflect on um, how lucky we are. And, um, yeah, and it was with um, 15,000, yeah, from what I said before, 15,000 Jews from all around the world. So it was a very touching experience. Um, and I got to, I had the opportunity, the privilege to do it with um, my brother. Mm. Um, who is currently 19, so we got to hold hands during the whole walk and I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned that you were, there were survivors on, on this march with you, or mm-hmm. as, um, did you have a chance to talk to them? What mm-hmm. were some of the, th- I know, I know when they give speeches, um, you, you get a sense of, you know, what it was like for them, but, you know, I've never had the chance to talk to them one on one. What were some of the things that that they said? What were maybe some lessons, um, some things they wanted you all to take away from it um, on a more personal level? So, um, well, actually, okay. So we had two Holocaust survivors um, with our coast to coast trip. So for um, about sixty people, so like one on each bus, and. Um, one of them who became kind of like a grandma to me during the trip. She was um, definitely an inspirational figure to me. Um, her name's Angela Orotz, and she is one of the only babies born in Auschwitz. And she is still living, and she is such an incredible human being and so um, joyful and um, good-hearted and yeah, anyways, so um, I talked with her all the time, and her main message was, no matter what happens to you, 
no matter what you go through in life, that the most important thing is to always be a nice person. Always, always be kind to others and treat others the way you'd like to be treated. And that really stuck with me. And I think it's just the most important lesson to learn from the Holocaust is to be kind. Mm-hmm. Do um, um, any of them like remember their time there? Because I guess most most of them who survived this long, probably children, um, young young people. Like, did they did they describe to you about what their time was like there or anything like that? Yeah. So um, I have I'm friends with another Holocaust survivor called David Moscovich. And well, that name sounds really familiar. Yeah, he's from Ottawa. Um, and he's a really cool guy. Um, anyways, so I had the opportunity to have many long talks with him about his story and his experiences, um, in concentration camps and growing up in, um, Nazi, oh, where did he grow up? Somewhere in Europe. I forget Mm -hmm. where. I'm sorry, David. I forget where. (laughs) Um, and his story is just is such a real one and such a sad one to hear. Um, so he grew up in wherever he, in a small town and then um, he was sent to a he was sent to a um, concentration camp where he, and it was a work camp as well. So he had to work there and he was with um, his dad and his uncle and his dad became really sick and um, he also became very sick and he was very starving. And um, the most, like, memorable point of the story was when he told me how um, one day he was just so starving and sick and he was just walking and he saw on the ground his uncle just dead. And it didn't even register emotionally into his heart because it was just... He told me that he wasn't human anymore when he was in that camp because they had turned him into an animal. Mm. Because... They gave him no human rights. Um, and when I say no, no human rights, I mean the food that they gave consisted of what they said was like a potato salad, which is basically just dirty water with rotten shaved potato peels and like grass and stones and whatever they put. It was just like a wa- like dirty water, basically. And that was all the food that they got for the day. And then um, in terms of appearance, they were given like these uniforms but that had gone through like different um uh, victims before so say they had like bullet shots like holes in where the heart was as in and you could understand that like the person who had um the uniform last that's where they were that's how they died and um and like they shaved their heads and they just um yeah, they, they treated them like animals and they wanted the, the people in the camps to feel like animals. Um, and that was just all part of the torture and the mind game that they played with um, Jews during the Holocaust. So um, I think I've heard like a lot of stories said where um, the survivors would... No, uh, where the people in the concentration camps would rather have just died than survived. And um, that's why I find it so inspirational for um, just Holocaust survivors even more inspirational that they can go through that, come back, and still be here today telling, sharing their story and 
um, having like a positive outlook on life. Mm-hmm. And I I don't understand how that's possible, but somehow I've met so many and that's what they do. And it, it just really demonstrates um, how strong humans can be. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, it's Absolutely. admirable. One of the biggest, <clears throat> and I don't know if you have the answer to this, but I see on Twitter or the internet when sometimes you have people who are one, either very uneducated on the subject or two, um, they're deniers. Um, they say, well, you know, there were so many more people in the concentration camps than there were guards. Why didn't they just take over? Was Has there ever been like talk or any of them talk about that or in any of your kind of experiences? Was that ever like a question that was kind of answered firsthand from people who were there? Do you know? Um, well, definitely when I hear from Holocaust survivors, like their thoughts on Holocaust denial, it's more like they don't really know what to say to it. Cause it's like, what, what is there to say? Um, like, how can I convince you more than like telling my story? You know, right. how can you deny that my history happened to me? You know, these are the qu- kind of questions that they think. And I just... I don't really understand the whole concept of denying the Holocaust. Like, how can you deny that this piece of history um, happened? And you hear all these stories from all these different people. Like, it's it's impossible that they all invented it. Um, and why why were they not able to fight back? Well, first of all, they did fight back. Um, there's there's an incident called the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. So basically, um, in different parts of Europe, like. <laughs> the Holocaust hit in different ways. Mm-hmm. So in Warsaw um, and lots of other different like cities around Europe, um, they, like, when Hitler got into power, they started having like these small laws. It was like a very small step-by-step process um, where they would just like, okay, well, for example, um, the starting laws were like, oh, Jews were not allowed to go to the movie theaters or not allowed to go to the grocery store between like this and this time. And then it started eventually becoming um, Jews can't go to the movies. I mean, I mean, Jews can't um, go to the grocery store and can't go to school and can't walk on the streets and have to be at home. And then um, after all those laws happened, then the Jews were just like forced in their homes. And then at one point they said, OK, um, now we're going to move all the Jews to the ghetto. So then a lot of people were actually really happy because they were like, oh, great. This is going to be a new change in lifestyle. Maybe it'll be for the better. So um they had they were allowed to bring like a small suitcase so then they were all like rushed to um, move to these ghettos so the warsaw ghetto um and then they spent a few at maximum a few months living there and then they would be shipped in these um cattle cars so cars that used to be for cows um and they would fit like 100 people in one cattle car which is insane so it basically means like you are not able to sit down because there's no room for you to sit down. And um, on this cattle car, you would go, um, it would take you like maximum four days um, to go to the concentration camp. So just like a little backtrack, um, the people in these ghettos, the ghetto condition, living conditions were so terrible um, that a lot of people would look forward to going to the camps because the Nazis advertised them as... um, these fun camps where you get paid and you get food and you get shelter and you get to like be with your community and 
friends and family um, and a lot of people who like didn't have the money to go to camp before but heard about it were actually excited to mm. go to these um, concentration camps. So um, they would go in and if you can imagine like spending four days in a cattle car with um, no brakes, so that means no food, no water, um, but even more importantly, I'd say nowhere to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and then basically it's like one person gets sick and throws up and it's a chain reaction. So then um, at the end of the like four days, it would be like uh, like flooded basically with feces and um, sickness and uh, yeah, it'd be really gross. So those who survived the cattle car ride would arrive at the camp and a common in Auschwitz um, what happened was there were um, the people would get off the trains I okay no this is Auschwitz Birk this is Birkenau so like the killing um, center of Auschwitz um, they'd get off the train and um, they'd go into a line and these this primarily this doctor called Dr. Mengele um, would look at them and deem them either um, safe to work or not fit to work. So those who were non-fit to work would he would like point them in a direction, and they would go straight to the disinfection center, where um, it was a nice name for where they would strip you of all your clothes, tell you that you were going to um, shower so that you would become clean, and then they would shave your head. Um, so this would not shave your head, like cut all your hair off. Um, and then um, they would send you to what they said were showers um, where you'd go into a room and um, the, there were the gas chambers that I mentioned before where they would have like these fake shower heads um, on the ceilings, which I saw, which are like so scary. Um, fake shower heads so that people would still think that they're going to get a shower. And then um, out would come like poisonous gas, which is called Zyklone B, it's like a blue gas. Um, and then it would, in a matter of minutes, would kill everyone in the room. And, um, yeah, so then that was one way if you were deemed unfit to work. And then the other way was where you were deemed fit to work. So by then you're probably separated from your whole family. And um, then you're sent to um, the... Okay, so this might be getting confusing for people because... Okay, so basically there's two camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, um, the place where people are gassed is um, Birkenau. And the people, so then the people who are fit to work would get sent to Auschwitz, mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> which is like where I saw the museum and everything. And then it would only be a matter of time before they were sent to back to Birkenau to um, get gassed. And this is what I'm explaining here is only how it happened in Auschwitz. But there were uh, many, many more concentration camps mm -hmm. and they all had their different ways of. Um, dealing with people that was my next question because Auschwitz is the the big one that <laughs> kind of gets the rap and I think kind of gets I guess the f the face of the mm -hmm. of the Holocaust but that's an important point you make that there were many others mm -hmm. how do you know off the top of your head how many in total yeah so what was complicated about that is like there were a few big ones like major ones right and then there were a few smaller ones that kind of got like forgotten about and like are so destroyed that like there's if you go there there's nothing to see mm -hmm. because um like the the Nazis um completely like destroyed the sites, but um 
there is uh, I can't like remember like the order of like like largeness of them, but mm-hmm. I know um, another one that really struck home for me was um, going to Majdanek, mm-hmm. which is another concentration camp. It's spelled M A J D A N E K, so it's like Majdanek, but it's called Majdanek. Mm-hmm. And um, what was really scary there is that everything was so intact that they said that um, after two days of like fixing things, so this is um, like 75 years after the liberation of Auschwitz, that's like this year, so we're talking like a while ago, mm-hmm. um, but in two days they can get Majdanek working to its um, biggest like capacity, like fully functioning. Um, so that was like what was so scary about visiting there. Um, and then another thing was like, um, in Majdanek, there's, if you like walk up a hill, you, um, see like a memorial site, which is enormous. And it's like a huge mountain of gray dust. So you go up to it and you think it just looks like an enormous dust pile. Um, but then they tell you that it's all human ashes from Majdanek. So for only from one concentration camp. And, um, then they tell you that every handful of ashes is worth one human life. So if you look up a picture of this, uh, Majdanek ash mountain, maybe you could look that up. Um, and then you imagine that every handful, um, of ashes that you collect is one human life and then you see this mountain it's really another good way of uh, putting the six million into perspective right just as one as one 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 camp it it is it's there's not a lot to say about it and when you get to you know kind of at a loss for words but when people deny it like I, I can see like your your face change from kind of emotion to like a little bit of anger, frustration, because yeah. that's on the rise too. Unfortunately, um, with the rise of the internet, we hear a lot of good voices, but we hear a lot of bad voices too. And it it would seem that I, I wish I remembered the study, and I do this a lot where I mention things without any of the backup. But it was like what I thought was like an absurd amount of people in Europe who don't believe that it actually happened. I just, I just don't understand that because they are where the Holocaust happened and they're around so many people um, who are alive during that time. And it just, it angers me. Like I feel like yelling. I feel, I, I just like you saying that. And, um, and this is like something that I knew, but just like, it's just so triggering in my body. I just feel the need Mm -hmm. to, Oh, I don't know. Just mm-hmm. yell because I just, I don't understand. I don't understand how so many people can deny it. Because yeah. just like, if you live in Europe, go to Poland and see these sites and then you won't deny it anymore. Mm-hmm. So, you know, 75 years since the liberation this year, you said? Mm-hmm. Yes. So what's your experience with people, you know, around your age um, here at home? Um, because... You know, young people get a lot, a lot of bad rap um, for one, not being informed and not caring. So that I think a lot of people would perceive mm-hmm. that people maybe don't understand Judaism or even learn about the Holocaust or 
pay attention when that part of history class is on. What is, like, do you find you have to educate a lot of the people around you about, not not about all the hard, like, the harder facts, but just that, like, it happened? Like, is there, yeah. is there a lot of people who know, would you say that it, it's fading? So, like, I can't really say if it's fading or not, because I'd say, like, I might be too young for that. Yeah. But um, another thing that I'd like to say is that um, I have the privilege of going to a school that um, has so many people who are Jewish in it, mm-hmm. which means that um, when we talk about this kind of thing, um, people are really open to listening. And um, it makes it's it means that I can't really say um, if young people don't really care because all of the experience that I've had with young people learning about the Holocaust is them caring so much. And mm-hmm. it's it's nice to see. But then it's also like looking at the statistics, I think. 62% of millennials don't know uh, like Canadian millennials don't know that um, 6 million Jews died in the Holocaust Duh. and yeah. then it's like just comparing those two it's like I think I've just had the ex- good experience of right. being in contact with so many people who care right that is a a staggering mm-hmm. 62% mm-hmm. Um, like again speech I just <laughs> I'm supposed to talk on a podcast I'm just sitting here <laughs> contemplating that number yeah. that you know you hear in one part of the news with the election coming up we're the largest voting block and that we can change the world but then more than half of us don't even know that six million people died mm-hmm. to me that you know that, that is that is like less than one percent of the things you should know about mm-hmm. what happened mm-hmm. um yep. you know we could all that and then you know going after when they were relocated to, to Israel and mm-hmm. and all that like being displaced and you know there's just so much to it in the in the Jewish faith and and the history mm-hmm. um, that you know your 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 family and so many others went through mm-hmm. it just again I'm coming at this as a completely objective yeah. third party yeah. and I'm just yeah. Yeah. I'm blown away by yeah. it. Yeah. And I think like something important to think about is that um it's like you hear oh, 62% of like millennials don't know and then it's easy to say oh it's because like they don't care or maybe it's like their fault that they don't know. But like how can it be their fault if they learn everything by going to school? Um that means that like it's it's a school that's not teaching them these facts and maybe we need to like revise the history mm-hmm. um the history curriculum like i know in my grade 10 history class we spent maybe like a day on the holocaust and um it was not touching at all mm. this is before i went on the march of the living and it's like it kind of went in and then went out like i didn't, I didn't feel anything mm-hmm. um and then after going on the march of the living i was like wow how can we have only spent one period on the holocaust when there's so much more to talk about and Canada was a lot like Canada was so involved in it well no there were so little they had barely any involvement in it well we didn't take anybody right yeah in fact our little catchphrase was none is too many which yeah 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 we often see ourselves as heroes in ways in World War II and a lot of the way a lot of times we were but a lot of the times we weren't yeah um you know, we had internment camps for Japanese people yeah. and, you know, turning away Jews. Have you been to Amsterdam? 
and visited no. Anne Frank's house? No, no, but I think I think my sister has. So I went there, um, and I don't I don't have the history with it, you know, like someone like you would would. Mm-hmm. But going through there and I tried to place myself as a member of that family mm-hmm. hiding mm-hmm. and and the terror that must have been felt. You know, I think about the times I was most scared in my life. And I look back and stupid things like I have an irrational fear of werewolves. And I was like outside and I heard I, it was probably a coyote, but I was like, oh, my gosh, it's a werewolf. And I was like, I was terrified. That is probably not even like I don't even know the percentage of what they must have been going through. So I think of myself like that yeah. and then try to imagine that amplified. That's really interesting for these think about it. people yeah. who are trying to hide for their lives. Yeah. And f- for me, that was a very touching and moving experience. Yeah. Um, but like that didn't have mm-hmm. some of the. Yeah. Do you think it's important that they have those artifacts there, uh, specifically in Auschwitz, where the hair, the gold, you know, yeah. all that's the dust pile? Like, is that, oh my God. do you it, think that's very important? I think it's so important because um, it just, it gives everything like a human quality to it. And right. it's kind of like proof, even though everything else is also proof. It's just like, wow, that's the hair of a real person. And um there was also like these displays of shoes where it was um, like a larger room. And like, instead of only one mountain, it was like two on both sides of the room. There's just like shoes everywhere. And then in my Donick, um, also just, I, I don't understand. Like, I, 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 I don't know how I can like explain it, um, with words, like the sheer amount of shoes that were there. And it's like, you think of every pair of shoes and that's one person. And it's just like such a good way of putting it into perspective. So definitely. Yes. And it's like, mm-hmm. every time I saw one of these displays, I just, I couldn't help, mm-hmm. but, um, like cry. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that documentary I referred to earlier, it had footage of when I, I can't remember which concentration camp it was, but when it was liberated, they basically kind of rolled out, those rooms kind of like a shopping thing and people who were being liberated because they had nothing would go into these rooms and kind of like put get new clothes or get the clothes that were from there and then like move it out like take some for the for the road and to wherever they were going you need to watch this documentary yeah i should really find the name i'm gonna try to look at it okay right now um yeah also it's funny about you talking about Anne frank um i had well, I've read the book twice, mm-hmm. and it's cool because, um, like, reading that book has really um, been another way to put the Holocaust into perspective because Anne is a girl who I'd say is pretty similar to me. She um, always, at the start of the book, she talks about how um, her teachers always complain about her talking too much, which is what I hear from all of my teachers throughout mm-hmm. all of my life. And um, she kind of looks like me, too. And we have the same hair. Mm. And same name. So you can maybe see yourself. Yeah. So it was a just lot like that. interesting just like reading those, like the book twice and just um, seeing myself in a lot of like the dialogue mm-hmm. and her thoughts. And it was just, it was really interesting. So it's called Night Will Fall. Okay. Um, it was, uh, I believe it's on Netflix. And um, that's where I saw it. I don't know if it still is. It's from 2014. So it's, um, 
a film that they found and they realized that it was footage shot by Alfred Hitchcock or Hitchcock, who's one of the biggest movie people at the day. Um, I know what I'm going to be watching when I get home. <laughs> I, I, I always have felt a need to watch every Holocaust documentary as I can. Yes. Have you watched Schindler's List? I haven't watched that movie yet. I tried watching it and I, I just, I didn't get through it. Mm-hmm. That's one of like the classic Hollywood ones though. Mm-hmm. I think it, um, yeah, it really. Like it does a good job? It does an amazing job. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it's it another like, try. Um, they don't, um, who was it that directed it again? Steven Spielberg, wasn't yeah, it? Steven yeah, Steven Spielberg, who was just not scared to put, like lay all the facts out and um, show like what it was really like and that was something that I really respect mm-hmm. and really stood out to me for the yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, I just find a sense like I need to I need to know and mm-hmm. what happened as an uncomfortable as it is putting those things we talked about into perspective that like yeah it might be uncomfortable for me to watch but like think about what these people yes. went through. Yes. Um, like so when I saw this one and I've watched a lot of them like this one was like I I the most intense thing I've ever watched probably like my hand was on my mouth the whole time just in utter shock and I'm like not even there so again it's been on my list I've always wanted to go there and yeah. and take it in firsthand yeah. and that's on the bucket list but it's uh yeah it it's something because yeah. like, there's not really narration to it. It's like literally just footage put so together. It's just like your thoughts. So like it starts yeah. at the liberation when they're walking through and people are at the gates, uh, like watching them and the fences mm-hmm. coming in and how, again, how skinny. Mm-hmm. and the. It's and, not even skinny. It's just, it's like. Well, the bones. It's, it's more, yeah, it's, it's bone plus skin. Yeah. And that's it. Like, and it, it showed um, when they liberated they made a lot of the SS um, soldiers that were there have to clean up all the bodies. Mm-hmm. As like, they made the Jews do that, but then they, they turned it around and made the Germans do that yeah. after. And there was yeah. only a couple of them and they had to do it all yeah. under like gunpoint. Yeah. And again, like this documentary, it, it's a lot, but like we've been talking about this whole time, how yeah. important it is to examine it. Yeah. Um, I think it's really important for more people to think like you. Just thought that you <laughs> I think, need to know. I, I, I just I think a lot about this in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I can do a lot more thinking on a lot of other subjects as well <laughs> that are very important to the human story. But there's something that has always captivated me about this particular story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just find it so... Like, sad isn't the... No. It's not enough of a word. I don't find, like... I I took writer's craft last year for a whole semester. Mm -hmm. And a lot of um, what I wrote was Holocaust-themed. And um, I think that was one of the most difficult things, was just finding words to describe um, how I felt about it. You just can't. Yeah. It's indescribable. Exactly. Like... It's not sad. It's... It's it's more. Tragic. It's not tragic. It's... Again... Yeah. Yeah, no, I feel you on that. What are some of the things that you want people, like when you're giving a a speech, what are some of the, the, like, 
are there certain things you want people to take away, like some main points that you you talk about, or you just kind of like just go through the, the the history timeline, or do you put more of like mm. a so, personal interpretation on it? Well, okay, so basically, um, in when I came back from the hall, the the merch of the living, I came back home from the airport, and I put like I unpacked all my things, and I was just like in this terrible mood because I was like I I don't know what to do. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tell everyone um, about what I learned. So I went outside and I, I took my computer out and then I started writing. And I never, this is like my first creative piece I've ever written. And I think it's my best one. Um, and it was, it's a story um, written in, what, second person narrative? So like you? Mm-hmm. Um, about a person, whoever you choose it to be going through um, the Holocaust from start to end. So they grew up in Warsaw, and it was like, um, yeah, so the story is based... Uh, anyways, this is like this story is um, how I like to present the Holocaust to people. Mm-hmm. So it's basically, um, in my idea, um, like the p- person that I choose is like me. So a girl growing up in Warsaw, um, and she's had a nice life so far, and she's like at school, and she's like well-liked. And then um, she's starting to get, um, like, disc- a little bit of, like, racial discrimination. She doesn't really understand why. And then um, one day, like, her teacher asks, like, who in this class is Jewish? Like, if, if you are, like, raise your hand. And then she's, like, so proudly, like, raises her hand because, you know, like, being Jewish is kind of cool. Um, and then um, she's asked to, like, be sent out. And then um, the next day comes around. And then she goes to school, and then um, her teacher says that, what are, you, what are you doing here? Who are you? You're not part of my class. And she's like, what? I've been going to school here forever. Like, what do you mean I'm not part of your class? She's like, I don't know who you are. Like, leave. And she did that. And the teacher did that with, like, the rest of the Jews in the class. So then this girl leaves being, like, confused. And um, then these things start to happen where um, she, like, starts not being able to go to the movies, go outside, and a bit like what I explained before. So then she gets sent to the concentra- the, the ghetto and then the concentration camp. She's separated from her family. Um, then she uh, she's, like, selected to work, and then her family is gassed. And then um, she's, like, working, and then she gets sick, and then um, she ends up being <coughs> gassed as well. And... Um, so that story, it's like um, like a ten page story, and I it takes me about like forty five minutes or something to, or maybe like half an hour to um, say, um, but I find like even every time like I read it, I just get all the emotions come running back to me mm-hmm. from um, when I was there, and I think it's like a r- really good way of teaching people and like making them connect with it emotionally. Um, so yeah, that's like basically how I like okay. to teach it, and I think it like is really works. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't think there's any shame or or anything. Not that I'm saying you feel it, but that you show emotion when you talk about this stuff. It's mm-hmm. not like you're just some person just kind of rhyming off the facts, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. Like anyone can do that, but to hear it from your perspective and how it emotionally affects you. Mm-hmm. I think that's huge. I think that's everything that that you can feel so strongly to this that you're willing to get up there despite mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. you know, the the feelings that you know you're going to feel mm-hmm. just to share it with, with other people. Yeah. Thank you. I don't know. <laughs> We're talking about how anti-Semitism is on the rise. Do you have, like, any numbers? I don't mean to put you on the spot with that without any... Um, Because I've read some articles about it, and I I hear a lot of people talking about it. They get a a lot of... Like I said, it just struck me that no one seems to care when things really happen to, to Jewish people. There's never that mass outrage or panic um it just kind of seems like it gets passed over a little bit mm-hmm. at least that's what i find um in the media in the news with people and now you you know you start getting a, a little bit from the other side where well people are mo- you're white so you yeah. all like you know like it doesn't matter yeah. um, type thing and that just that struck me yeah um in, it strikes me too all the time but in terms of statistics um the Azraeli Foundation, which is like a foundation from Ottawa, um, they have found from um, a like mass survey that twenty-two um, percent of millennials from like ages thirteen to thirty-four haven't heard of or not sure if they've heard of the Holocaust. So it's like one in five people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that um, nearly one quarter of all Canadians um, believe that much less than 6 million Jews were killed, um, so like 2 million or fewer during the Holocaust. And um, like 20, another quarter were unsure about how many were killed. And um, then another really frightening one is that 6 out of 10 Canadians say that fewer people care about the Holocaust than they used to. Mm. So, so that's I think, what I'm, that, that was the question I was trying to get mm-hmm. at with, do you find it fading away yeah. a little bit. So I think that like I can't really answer that because mm-hmm. I don't know, but the statis- these statistics right. prove it. Um, and yeah. What can people do? Yeah. <laughs> they can um, watch these documentaries yeah. and they can listen to podcasts like these and they can Do you have any sorry to, to interrupt? Do yeah. you have like you list, are there any podcasts no. or YouTube channels or any like is there someone or people out there who are kind of working on this mm-hmm. in in terms of getting the word out in not traditional yes, media yes yes so um there's a foundation called chess which is the Carlton um, Center Ooh, what's it called oh, I, I looked it before <laughs> Carlton Center for Holocaust education scholarship okay something by yeah um where um they did this project of filming interviews with holocaust survivors um from yeah around canada where they like told their stories and they're all on their websites if you look on like chess.com or something like chess carlton and you can find all these videos of um people so i've watched like a lot of them and they're really powerful but if you want to learn more about it, like, look up any keywords online, on YouTube, on anything, and so many results will pop up, and they're, like, these really, really well-done videos, because it's, like, a worldwide problem, you know, mm-hmm. like, the lack of Holocaust education that a lot of people are trying to solve, so if you try, like, looking things up online, then you'll find things, but, um, I know at my school, there's, like, Holocaust 
um, survivors who come to speak to us. Mm -hmm. So that's a good way of learning. Um, history class, but I don't find history class, like in my experience, was um, that influential. It's I think just, yeah. as you're, you know, you're bringing being brought up being educated is mm -hmm. one thing but once you're out of the school system i feel that's where it might get left behind mm -hmm. um a lot of people get in the frame that once you're out of school you kind of stop learning and yeah. i'm not saying that's what it is but i'm just thinking out loud just wondering if so have you ever heard of hardcore history by dan carlin no okay so it's a podcast mm -hmm. Now he is a he's an old radio guy. He's a, a master orator. Like this this dude goes on. So what they anyways what they do is they'll put together a little series of of podcasts. Um, and they they're long. Uh, they're like three or four hours a piece. Um, and they go into they're like three, four, five episodes at that length, going into a particular subject about history. Mm -hmm. So there's one called Countdown to Armageddon, and that's the lead in. To World War One and all the things that happen. There's one about uh, Genghis Khan. There's one about um, the rise of Japan before World War Two. Mm -hmm. So what I'm wondering, you know, putting together something like that w about the Holocaust. You I, know, I think that'd be great. Yeah, you should do that. <laughs> I should do it. Just, yeah. But like own. going into, <laughs> I mean, they do their heavy research. Um, there are scholars. There's yeah. there's historians working on that project. It's a big, big project. But what I would love to see is using, you know, what you want to tell people and putting it into a way that, you know, mo these millennials who don't seem to want to research anything. Is like um, easy, easily accessible. Yeah, and digestible for them. Um, like, I, there's nothing about the Holocaust that makes it easily digestible. Yeah, no, 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 I get but anyway, that's a thought to ponder out loud um, as you as you go through it, um, using the people you know and the connections. Just that, um, I mean, I, that would be really fascinating for yeah. for people to know about. Yeah. I wish uh, I had an answer, like a, a way, like a solution. Well, you know, I just kind of want, like, again, it gets put into this lumped history pile that some people, you know, because maybe it's it's boring or the education system failed them that they, they don't refer to it. That yeah. if there's just, you know, people like you who are obviously have a lot of passion and knowledge and, and things for the subject, some way to try to redefine the game in terms of the education i was wondering you know there's a rise of youtube stars or or influencers you know just i guess i don't know that's just me pondering out loud like i usually do <laughs> well i'd like to ponder it more. there you go you take it home think about it um, get back to you. <laughs> um one thing that that struck me is is you're you're young and that this is a subject that a lot of historians won't even take on. Mm -hmm. Why do you feel you? Why why is it you? Do you think that you you need to tackle this subject? Mm, I feel like I don't know. I think I'm a very people person, and that's like uh, something that I've always like attributed to myself is just like I. I understand people and um, I like connecting with people. And after going on this Holocaust, um, like the March of the Living, this trip, um, it 
was all about how these people were so oppressed and um and it was all like about emotion you know and to me this subject has like just human emotion is always um well, I don't know how to word this um something that I think I've always like understood easily and um to feel it so deeply um during this trip Mm, oh, I don't know if I'm explaining this. It's right. called like emotional intelligence. Oh, uh is yeah. what I'm I'm kind of picking up. It's Yeah. It's someone who kind of can read situations really well, mm-hmm. read what people are emoting. What mm-hmm. you know, if they that you can sense their sadness, you can sense yeah. there's there's things like that that you just people with a high degree of emotional intelligence easily relate to people mm-hmm. because they get what they're feeling yeah. or trying to understand tell it. me I have but um yeah so I think it's that that um really like took it all to made, made the whole like holocaust story um so meaningful to me and um because it's like such a yeah powerful like event that um it made me feel like I had to share it with everyone so I mm-hmm. think because it's not just like these facts it's like stories of real people of sick of, of millions and millions of people that um, most people today don't know about. And it's like, I just felt the task of mm-hmm. um, having to share it with everyone. Is this something that, you know, now that you're, you're getting ready to go off into your adult life, is this something you're pursuing more from a, an educational standpoint in terms of, you know, history or, or anything like that? Or are you going to continue it and kind of branch off into a different career? Yeah, I think no, I'm I think I'm definitely going to branch off into a different career, mm-hmm. but like always be open to opportunities where I can teach about it. Mm-hmm. Um but to be honest, I don't really know what uh I'd like to go study in university. But um It's a whole separate podcast, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> um but yeah, no, good question. Um I'm going to put you a little bit on the spot here Great. just as a way out. There's, you know, a lot of young people who have made significant impacts in this world, whether you look at Anne Frank, like we were discussing, um, we look at Greta Thunberg, uh, more for the climate change. We look at the, the Park uh, Parkland students in Florida mm-hmm. who su- stood up after the shooting for gun reform. What is your message to the older generation that seems to maybe discredit young people and their passions and their knowledge you know, who might hear this and, oh, she's a young girl. She doesn't know what she's talking about or, you know what I mean? They, they just kind of brush you off. You have so much life t- experience to learn. Do you, do you have anything like that? Because I've always believed, I truly believe that the younger generation, um, for lack of a better phrase, isn't going to take shit. Um, and what I mean by that is they're not going to stand for, you know, oppressive legislation and government or politicians who don't do anything or mm-hmm. or lobby groups that control the interest of humans or money and government they're not going to I know I feel young people aren't standing for the system right now yeah. that that's obviously failing us so young people I think you know have a bright future you're kind of leading that charge in a certain aspect of it mm-hmm. 
you know, do you, do you have anything to say to people who might not listen or discredit you as a young person? Well, all people have, um, all older people have once been my age. And I think it's important to put that into perspective. And also to say that I have a lot to say. And if you don't think I have a lot to say, well, then come talk to me and I'll tell you what I've got to say. And um, we are, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, I think that's it. That's a good one. <laughs> come talk to you. Um, like I said, you're you're doing a big thing that I think a lot of even older people don't have the courage for. Um, you. So you should be very proud of yourself. Um, and all the things that you're doing. And I hope people listen to this and then go do more research on their own and maybe someone starts that podcast. I don't know, but... I'll start it with them. <laughs> it's um, it's a incredibly, again, important subject. And I'm at least going to do my part that it doesn't get swept under the rug um, by, by some people and the rise of anti-Semitism. Thank you for that. Um and uh, thank you for coming on. And I mean, this, we went for an hour. This could be going through all the details, could take a really long time. So we only really brushed some of the the, the surface of it. Mm -hmm. um, but I appreciate you coming on. And uh, I know it wasn't easy for you. So thank mm -hmm. you. Thank you so much, Ryan. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye.